your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be diving back into Ephesians, starting chapter 3 today. And what we're going to see here is really a good summary of Paul's understanding of his mission, his understanding of his, his, his calling. This is his passion. This is what he feels like he's been designed to do, which is to share the good news of Jesus with the Gentiles. The, the non-Jews, the, the nations, us, <laughs> we are the Gentiles, right? And so we've already talked about the, the purpose of Ephesians. So Paul wrote this to uh, a bunch of churches that were in and around Ephesus. And he, he's, the first half of the book is really just the, the heart of the gospel and, and this mission that he's on to share the, the, the good news that that Christ has come for the nations and has invited the Gentiles into God's family. And then the second half of the book, verses chapters 4 and on, is, okay, what does this new humanity of the, the Jews and the Gentiles, when they come together in this new humanity, what does it look like practically on a street level? And so we'll get to there eventually. But here, what we've seen is the structure of verses or chapters 1 to 3 is there's some parallels, right? And so it starts and it ends with these worship songs. And then after the first worship song and before the last worship song are these prayers. And then sandwiched between these worship songs and these prayers is kind of the meat of the letter. And, the, and really the heart of the gospel is in there too. And so we saw in chapter two, these two parallel paragraphs that both answered these four questions about, okay, who we were before Christ, and then what, what our main problem was, and then how did God intervene, that but God moment, and then who are we now in Christ? And so that was chapter two. Now we come to chapter three. Oh, let me back up. In chapter two, this is what we saw. The answer to those four questions is really important, because that's the heart of the gospel, right? And so we saw that Paul was addressing the Gentiles who were dead in their sins and deceived by the the powers of darkness separated from the Messiah, alienated from God's chosen people. They were without hope, without God. But God, because of his mercy, because of his love, he made the Gentiles, us, alive in Christ and exalted us. And he broke down the wall of hostility between us and God and between us and others. And so we who were far off were brought near by the blood of Christ, so that now we are reconciled to God and to one another. We're made in this, like I said, this one new humanity. So we're no longer strangers and aliens, but we're fellow citizens, part of God's household together. Where we are being built into the very temple of God, where the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And so today, Paul's going to continue this thought. Okay, that was a real quick summary of everything we, we've talked about, right? Just kind of threw it at you real fast. But this big idea that God is uniting both the Jews and the Gentiles into this new humanity, and that's good news for all of us. So he's going to continue to, to share about that, and he's going to talk about what his part is in this good news, this redemption plan of God. So let's pray one more time, and we'll dive in. All right, Father, oh, thank you so much already for what you're doing, what you've done. And I, I pray right now that you would help us see with our spiritual eyes what you intended us to see, what 
the, what you inspired Paul to mean in these texts. Help us to understand it. Help me to speak clearly and truthfully your word, not mine. Help us to have humble hearts that are soft, that we might receive it and our faith would be strengthened and encouraged and sustained because of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Starting in verse 1, chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the, the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So we're going to stop there. This is the outline. This is where we're going to be heading. We're going to start with, we're going to see Paul's suffering is your glory. So we're going to look at the, the bookends of this passage. Secondly, Paul's stewardship of God's grace, we're going to see. And then thirdly, we're going to see that Paul's ministry is for you and for me, because we're the Gentiles. All right, so let's start with Paul's suffering is your glory, okay? So again, I want us to look at the bookends of this passage. We're going to look at verse 1. We're going to start there, and I want you to see that Paul begins and he ends this passage by talking about his suffering. Verse 1 starts with him saying, almost in passing, right? By the way, I, Paul, a prisoner, okay? So if you didn't know, I'm writing this letter from my cell. Okay, I'm on the floor of my cell in prison writing this letter to you, by the way. And, and notice who he is a prisoner of. It's Christ Jesus. Now, now, we know that Paul was in a Roman prison. But in Paul's mind, he's there for a purpose. God has ordained his imprisonment. In, the letter, in his letter to the church of Philippi, in chapter 1, starting in verse 12, he says this, he says, look, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, me being in prison, what has happened to me was really, or has really served to advance the gospel. 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of that, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so Paul gets thrown into prison, and he's like, okay, good. More people to share the gospel with, right? <laughs> Let's go. And then Paul's faith in the midst of his prison inspires others to speak the word of God with more boldness, without fear. Now, next, back in Ephesians, notice who he is in prison who he is a prisoner for. says He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So it's been Paul's mission and calling to share the gospel with the Gentiles, and that's what landed him in prison. Okay, so we can see the backstory, actually, of this. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 21. Keep your thumb in Ephesians 3, but go to Acts chapter 21 and... and uh, uh, so here in this situation, Paul, he's been a missionary for about 10 years at this point when he, he's traveling to Jerusalem, okay? And so as he's heading into Jerusalem, this prophet comes down from Judea and tells Paul that, look, if you go to Jerusalem, the, the Jews there are going to hand you over to the Gentiles, the Romans, to be imprisoned. So he gets warned by a prophet. And we pick up in verse 13. This is Paul's response to that prophecy. He says, Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. And so Paul hears the prophecy and says, You know what? I'm still going. And so he goes in Jerusalem. He meets with James and the elders of the church there who warn him again. Look, there are Jewish believers in Jerusalem who are still very zealous about the law. In other words, there were Jews who had trusted in Jesus, but they believed that even as a Christ follower, you had to adhere to the Jewish laws that kind of set them apart. So, for example, circumcision and the Sabbath laws and the dietary laws. And so these zealous Jews had heard that Paul was actually telling the Gentile believers, look, you don't have to circumcise your children or walk according to the Jewish customs. And so James asks Paul to basically, like, while you're in town, it would be wise for you to act like a Jew, okay? It would be wise for you to just act Jewish while you're in town. So Paul says, okay. And so he actually goes to the temple to go through this Jewish purification process. But while he's at the temple, this is what happens. Okay, so when the, when the seven days were almost complete, and so the process takes seven days, this purification process, this is what happens. This is uh, verse 27. The Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and, the, and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the, where's he from? Ephesian. Yeah, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. All right, so this crowd is being stirred up by the, these Jews that are, are railing against him. And they drag Paul out and they begin to beat him. And fortunately, for Paul, some of the Roman soldiers are alerted to this mob, 
And they go and they investigate, and they end up arresting Paul. And so when Paul writes to the Ephesians that he is a prisoner of Christ for them, this is what they would have had in mind, that the Jews had accused Paul of bringing an Ephesian into the temple, and this is what led to his arrest. But notice the end of the passage in Ephesians chapter 3. He's not upset with the Ephesians at all, right? In fact, I think he's trying to comfort them. He says, don't feel guilty about my imprisonment. Don't, don't lose heart. My imprisonment is for your glory. And so Paul flips his status kind of upside down here. And he says, look, my imprisonment, my low status isn't shameful. In fact, it's for your glory. It's honorable. In fact, Paul is glad to suffer because he knows that in his suffering, the good news of Jesus is spreading. Uh, another parallel passage uh, in Colossians, this is what Paul writes. He says, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Now, now, when Paul says he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction, he's not saying that what Christ did on the cross was some way insufficient. Paul is saying that in his suffering, he is completing what Christ started. And so Paul is rejoicing in his suffering because he knows that in his suffering, like Christ, he is furthering God's rescue plan for the Gentiles. Back to Ephesians, look at verse 2. This is point number two. Paul was a steward of God's grace. Verse two, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And so Paul was given this responsibility, right? This, to steward God's grace, God's gift. And so what is this gift? Look at verse three. It was the mystery of Christ. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, by this, we talked about this apocalypse, uh, this spiritual, like this vision into the heavenly realm where, where God revealed things to him. And he says, as I have written briefly, so he's just talking about the first two chapters. Verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now, when we think about a mystery, what, what comes to your mind? When you think about a mystery, what comes to your mind? Probably like a dinner theater or a mystery novel, right, where you're, you've got some kind of uh, problem or puzzle or challenge, and, and there's a detective who's trying to figure out, okay, who done it? But when the Bible speaks of a mystery, it's not talking about a puzzle, okay? It's talking about hidden information that has recently been revealed. And that's what we see in verse 5. Look at verse 5. Paul goes on to describe this mystery which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. All right, so what is the mystery of Christ, this gift of God that Paul has been made a steward of for the Gentiles? Now, in our Western individualistic culture where we have been brought up with this kind of simplistic narrative about it's all about me and God and whether or not I'm going to go to heaven or hell. Uh, I think we have 
maybe a misunderstanding about what, or we, we tend to have a misunderstanding of what Paul means by the mystery of Christ here. Uh, we probably immediately think that the mystery of, that Paul is talking about is about Jesus forgiving my sins and justifying me. But remember, Paul's got a much bigger picture in mind here, a much more nuanced narrative in mind. So look at verse 6. Paul tells us exactly. I mean, you don't even, he doesn't imply anything. He tells us exactly what the mystery is. Verse 6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so the mystery is the Gentiles now have been invited into God's family. Now, if you read the Old Testament, it's, it's not hard to see that God has a heart for the nations, that he wants to bless the nations. That's the promise that he gives to Abraham right away. Okay, your, your family will be a blessing to all families, all nations. You, you will become a great nation and you'll be a blessing to all nations. We saw in Exodus that when God established his covenant relationship with Israel, his desire for them was to be a nation of priests, to represent him. And so he gives them the law to help guide them in this. But of course, they fail miserably, which brings us to Jesus, who comes and does what they had failed to do. Jesus reflects the love of God perfectly. He, he not only follows the law, he fulfills it. He brings it to its completion. So the requirements of the law that set Israel apart from these other nations, like circumcision and the dietary laws and the Sabbath laws, were no longer necessary and no longer barriers for the Gentiles. Okay, we talked about that last week. So the revelation, the mystery that has been revealed is that the Gentiles were invited into God's family without having to conform to all the laws and traditions of the Jews. The only requirement for entry was faith in Jesus. And that's what we read back in chapter 2. Paul wrote, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not through works, so that no one can boast. Now, next, Paul recognizes that he has done nothing to deserve being a steward of God's grace for the Gentiles. Look at verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul's like, I was given this amazing gift to share with the world, and I don't deserve it. I, I was the guy that was persecuting Christ followers, and now... I'm on the front lines. I've been given this gift to steward God's grace, and I can't help but tell the world about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And look at verses 9 through 11. Paul understands that his ministry is going to have a cosmic impact. He understands that what God has called him to do is way bigger than him. And so he says, again, the grace was given to, was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Pick up in verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to who? The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
It's hard for us to get our, our heads even wrapped around this, especially living in a Western culture. But Paul has been given this gift of sharing the revealed mystery of our Creator so that the church, the, the gathering of these new believers from all nations, this new humanity, would display God's manifold wisdom, His multifaceted wisdom. It's like looking through the, a kaleidoscope at, at God's wisdom. That's what the church is meant to display. Because, remember, Paul has this big picture, this big narrative in mind. Paul has in mind the whole of God's redeeming work. Everything from Adam and Eve to Abraham to Moses to the prophets to Christ and everything in between. This was his eternal purpose, his manifold wisdom from the very beginning. And notice who the church displays God's manifold wisdom to. The rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So we talked about the, the two realms, right? We've got the earthly realm, the physical realm, but there's also this heavenly realm where God dwells and it overlaps with the earthly, the earthly realm um, initially in the Garden of Eden, but then also in the temple and then now in the church. Um, and so there's this heavenly realm that Paul has in his mind as, as, he's, as he's writing these words. And he's talked about this already, right? Paul's talked about these heavenly rulers and authorities on a couple occasions in Ephesians. Chapter 1, Paul describes Jesus as being seated at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And then in chapter 2, Paul describes the Gentiles as a people who were dead in their sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. And then later on in chapter 6, we're going to spend more time talking about these powers because Paul encourages us to put on the full armor of God because, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so there's this whole other heavenly spiritual world that we can't see with our physical eyes, but very much impacts our physical world. And we impact their world, evidently, when we gather as believers. So this is what's happening. In chapter 3, Paul is saying that when the new humanity, when the church gathers together, in other words, when God's people filled with God's spirit gather as a church, we declare to these rebellious spiritual powers and authorities, we declare God's wisdom to them. So when we gather and we sing praises to King Jesus, these cosmic powers hear, and they're reminded just how powerful and wise our God is. They're reminded that their end is near. They are reminded that God's eternal plan of redeeming his people to worship him alone cannot be thwarted. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Amen. They are reminded that they are like a gnat trying to attack the sun, right? <laughs> now, finally, we see in this text that Paul's ministry is to us because we are the Gentiles. We are the nations. Look at verse 12 and 13 again. In whom we have boldness, so Christ, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So because of Christ, 
we Gentiles now have boldness. We have confidence because Christ has forgiven our sins. Our guilt before God has been completely removed. We've been granted access to God through faith. And notice again how Paul encourages the church not to lose heart because of his imprisonment. In fact, Paul has embraced his suffering, knowing it is for their glory. And I think this is a good reminder for us. Sometimes ministry is hard. And it's challenging. Sometimes life is hard. <laughs> Work can be hard. Parenting can be hard and challenging. And we suffer as we minister to the people we love. But when we suffer whether it's in ministry or in parenting or in our jobs, as we are ministering in those places, we also are reflecting Christ. And so, parents, when you go through a season when your kids are just challenging as you're ministering to them, know that Christ understands your suffering and you're reflecting him. God knows a little bit about what it's like to give birth to children made in his image who want nothing to do with him, right? Right? which is like every teenager is just about, right? He can empathize with us. And God has invited us in, knowing our sin, knowing the mess that we are. He makes us fellow heirs. He, rem he makes us members of, his, of the same body, partakers of his promises. He invites us to be united with him, to identify with him. In fact, he welcomes us in to represent him. That we would be a nation of priests sent out to be his witnesses, spreading his love like Paul, stewarding the grace given to us. And so, in summary, to kind of wrap everything up, Paul's ministry was for us, Gentiles. But it wasn't meant to stop with us. It was meant for us to carry it on to the next generation and to the rest of the world. Let's pray that God would help us to do that. Father, thank you once again for your word and for inviting us sinners dead in our sins to be part of your family to be welcomed in as fellow heirs, as ones that would receive the same promises you gave to Abraham, that one day we will be with you in paradise for eternity. And I'm thankful that we get a taste of that even now, and we look forward to the fulfillment of that promise when you return, and we pray for your return. We long to be with you, Lord. And so we thank you that even now, in this moment, as we gather as spirit-filled believers, we get a taste of being in your presence. I thank you that you have given Asbury an even greater taste of that, at least for a moment. And it has changed hearts and minds and I pray that you would do that today here.
in this moment with us. That your spirit would invade and interrupt our lives like it has there. And you would increase our longing for you. And we would, like them, want to run to you. And you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to move into a time of 